following is a message from Living Waters Church in Elk River, Minnesota. For more information, visit livingwatersmn.org. Hi, for those of you who don't know, I'm Laura. Um, in about 2004, we um, had an encounter with the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and the Lord had us bring it back here in the way that we could. And we started doing our practicing here in, at when the Alliance Church was the Alliance Church. And um, I just want to honor those here who helped us. I see Andersons and the Calvas and... There's so many. I know I can't remember you all. I remember when uh, Calvis Josiah would be over here playing with his Legos. It was that long ago. <laughs> it was really precious. And so I just am thankful that we had the opportunity to work with different churches in town and um, bring, bring heaven down in many, many evenings. It was just a blessing to be together and worship and pray when we had our, our place. So... I'm going to hand it over to Jeff. Oh, yeah. And that segues into what we're doing now in Kansas City. We're part of an organization called 111 Global. And Jeff's going to talk about that, I guess. So here you Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Can you hear me okay? Okay, great. Um, when I was in high school, I told Jesus... That I would. <laughs> I don't know why he does this to me all the time. <laughs> um, that I would follow him wherever he leads. And over the years, I have discovered that his leadership in our lives is perfect. Yeah. He he led us to Elk River. I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't in a really good place at the time. But then he, he told me I brought you here to start out as a prayer. So I thought that was going to be the rest of my life. But, you know, after about 10 years, he said, oh, now I want you to go to Ukraine and into Russia. And so he brought us over there for a few years. Um, we spent more time over there than we did here. And then in 2019... Uh, March, no, 20, no, two, yeah, 2019, we came back, and he was speaking to us about joining with another organization to, to strengthen what we were doing, and I, I thought, yeah, we need to do that. Um, well, in March of 2020, I, I had a flight back to Ukraine, thought that's what we were going to be doing, and uh, praying about it, and he said, no, I don't want you to go. I said, why? He said, for your safety. I thought, my safety? I've never been afraid over there of anything. Well, the, I changed my flight, and the day I was supposed to fly into Ukraine, COVID shut the borders of Ukraine. And so I don't know where in the, you know, between here and there I would have ended up, but God's leadership is perfect, even though we don't understand it. And You know, the, the prophetic words that came out today um, were a lot about difficulty and God meeting us in that difficulty. And when you look at Psalm 23, his leadership as the shepherd 
not only brings us to the green pastures, but he brings us through the dark valleys. And because there's another pasture on the other side, sometimes he, he, we need to go through those valleys, and it's his leadership that brings us there, and he's with us. So, we're in Kansas City right now. Um, God connected us with a ministry called 111 Global. Um, we met them in Kiev about three years ago, and they were basically preaching the same message we were. And so we immediately had a, a kinship with them. And um, as we were praying about, you know, who do we connect with, they were the, a clear um, option for us. And so we went down there for six months, January to June, to spend some time with them, to do what they were doing, to see if it was a good fit for us. And um, it is. <laughs> so we are actually staying down there. Um, we're keeping our residence in Minnesota, you know, but we're going to be spending most of our time down there. Um, and what this ministry does is they, they raise up, they train, and they send. And they go all over the world. They have, they've been in places like Thailand, China, um, Iraq, uh, Europe, many places in Europe, South Africa, South America. So God is broadening, broadening our horizons. I'm still working on my Russian. I'll forever be trying to learn Russian. But um, God's going to send us different places. And as we go to these places, we're going to be teaching about Jesus. We're going to be teaching about who he is and, and how worthy he is. And we're going to be teaching, um, training people how to, how to sing the scriptures, how to, how to do a house of prayer, how to do a prayer room, whatever format it takes, whatever it looks like in, in their country, in their uh, culture. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're praying about hopefully going into Kurdistan this fall. And Kurdistan is just a hop from Ukraine, so I'm really hoping to get over to Ukraine as well. But we'll see where he leads us. Uh, the name of the ministry is 111 Global, and that's, they base it on Malachi 111, where um, God says this, from the rising of the sun to the setting to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations. And connected with that is Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praises. That verse is a transition verse from Jesus' first coming to his return. And that's what God is doing today. And that's what 111's mission is, is to help lift up that song around the earth. Um, it's a privilege to be part of them. I, we just love this group of people and looking forward to ministering with them and working with them domestically as well as in other countries. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus in a, a way that we can know him. Let's pray.
Father, we love you. I thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for your Spirit. You are love. You are the God of love, but you are the definition of love. You are amazing, God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us today. We need to know Jesus more. We want to know him more. And we need your help to understand who he is. We want to know him. He's God. He's man. He's the God-man. And in so many ways, it just blows our minds. How can this be? Father, I, I'm asking, would you reveal Jesus today? Holy Spirit, we really need your help. I need your help to speak the words. And, and, and we ask that you would open our ears to hear what you are saying today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So, when Renee asked me to speak today, come on, what's going on? There we go. She, she said you guys were in a series of called Foundations. And in some ways going back to the basics. Is that what we're doing? Okay. And I started thinking about what I could talk about. And I, one of the topics that's really dear to me um, is the fact that Jesus is both God and man. And that somehow we can know him that way. Not just, not just know the facts, but we can somehow know him that way. And in our world today, we're kind of in a crisis of, of this idea of who is Jesus. Yeah. You know, the, historically men have been deified. Caesar, Pharaoh, but you know, they all died. They're dust today. Jesus died, but he was raised. Um, you know, groups like the Mormons, they, they preach that Jesus was a man who achieved godhood somehow. The uh, Jehovah's Witnesses say he was just an angel that got elevated somehow. The Hindus think he's just another god that they can pray to and hopefully they'll help him. Islam says that God has no son. Um, that Jesus was simply a failed prophet. The Jews do not recognize Jesus as their Messiah yet. And even in some of our Christian denominations, we're starting to see a reduction of who Jesus is, a, a doubt, a, a, uh, a removal of his deity, that he isn't who he said he was. In Matthew 16, Jesus came to his disciples and said, who do the people say that I am? And you know, they said, well, you're Elijah or one of the prophets, you know. And then Jesus looked at them and said, who do you say that I am? And this is the question that each of us need to answer. And we need to know not just that, yes, you're the Son of God, but why we know that. There's a lot of Christians today who couldn't tell you why Jesus is God. So hopefully a little bit of what I'm going to say will help fill in that and help us all get a, an understanding of scripturally how Jesus is the God-man. 
Um, you know, Peter answered the question, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. As Jesus was talking to different people when he was walking on the earth, he was talking to the Pharisees. And they were coming to him with all these questions. And he was answering them in such a way that they finally gave up. And then he asked them a question. And this question is actually a, a paradox. And a paradox is something that, when you look at it, it's like there's two things going on here. They're opposed, they can't both be true. And Jesus said this in Luke 20, uh, beginning at verse 40 through 44. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. And then he said to them, how is it that they say that the Messiah is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. David calls him Lord. How can he be his son? And they had no answer. Jesus answered that question at the end of the book of Revelation. In verse 16, he said, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the source. David came from me. I created him. But I came from David. I was born a man through his line. In the Song of Solomon, we have a song that is um, can be seen as a picture of a relationship between the bridegroom, Jesus, and us as his bride. And this song is a, is a, um, it's a path that she walks in getting to know Jesus. And in chapter 5, she's gone through some hard times. She's been struggling, and, and, and she can't find him. And she's looking for him out in the night. And she comes across these young women. They're called the Daughters of Jerusalem. They're younger, immature believers. And she comes to them and says, have you seen him? Have you seen my beloved? Tell, if you see him, tell him I'm lovesick for him. And their response is, huh? Who is this guy that you talk about him like that? Well, then she sings a song. And this song is her testimony of how she has come to know him. And the first part of it in verse 10 is, my beloved is dazzling and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. That statement is a statement, my beloved is the God-man. There's nobody <laughs> who can compare. In the Hebrew, the word dazzling is the word for white. And it's the same word that's used for light and brilliance and all this stuff. And, it, and it's the reference to his divinity, the fact that he's God. And the word ruddy is the word red, which in the Hebrew is the word Adam, which refers to his humanity. And so she recognized in her, in the, from the previous four chapters that he was the God-man. There's nobody like him. Nobody in heaven, on earth, under the earth can compare to him. He is the one and only God-man. Okay? Psalm 89, um, who in the heavens can compare 
Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to him? Nobody. So let's look at the divine side of Jesus, the fact that he's God. We all know John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The <laughs> My iPad is not being very fast today. Okay. So we know that Jesus is the Word. He was from the beginning, and he's with God, he's, he is God. And we'll talk a little bit more about what he does in this, in this role. But um, in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than yours. God is telling us that there's a lot of things about him that we don't understand. But he's created us to know him and to pursue understanding all that we can about him. There was a man named Jonathan Edwards. He lived in the early 1700s. He's the one who actually initiated, God used him to initiate the first great awakening in America, where thousands of people encountered God in amazing ways, and, and it shifted the direction of America at that time. He was a contemplative. He loved to meditate on the Word, to, to dig in and try to understand God. And he wrote an article, a paper, about the Trinity. And I, I've, you know, this isn't perfect, but I have found this a fascinating way to look at Jesus as the begotten Son of God. In this article, he starts off, and remember, this is written in 1700, so I'm not going to read much of it just for that sake, but he talks about the infinite happiness of God. It is common when speaking of the divine happiness to say that God is infinitely happy because he is enjoying himself. He's, you know, he enjoys the fact that when he looks at himself, he's perfect, he's infinite loving, he's, and he's rejoicing in his own essence and perfection. Now, if any of us did that, you know, we'd all be narcissistic, right? But God is fully justified in this because he is perfect, infinitely perfect, and there's nothing else for him to meditate on except himself that would reach that you know, level of perfection. It must be supposed that God is perpetually and eternally looking at the most perfect idea of himself. Now, Yahweh, God, from eternity past, has always been, has always existed, before time, before creation, everything, okay? He was the only God. There was no, no, no other creatures, no, nothing else was out there, just him. It's hard for our brains to really wrap around that idea that there was nothing. I mean, we can say that there's nothing, but if you really start thinking about it, just like, how does that work? 
There were no angels, no heaven, no humanity, just God. So what did God think about in his perfect holiness and beauty? He thought about himself. Now, God is in his contemplation of himself, unlike man. So if we thought about ourselves, we, you know, our memories, we try and think about the last hour. We can see, we can remember so much of it. We can't see all, you know, the, the 360-degree sphere of what was going on in that last hour. But God, being perfect, when he looks at himself, he sees absolutely everything. And he's, you know, as he's contemplating himself, he's got a perfect 100% image of himself. And in, as he looks at himself, his joy, his happiness is, is off the charts. It's a grand emotion of joy that could only erupt in a new level of joy, an ecstatic joy. Are you following me? Yeah. Is it making sense? Okay. Ecstasy of God. Ecstasy is defined as an overwhelming feeling of great happiness and joy. Now, the word ecstasy is actually a Greek word. That means to stand beside yourself. And sometimes we talk about someone who's really happy, and they'll say, well, she's beside herself with joy, right? Well, think about it. Because God's imagination and understanding of himself is so perfect, as he's looking at himself, his, his, his understanding, his imagination of himself is 100% himself. And in his joy, he finds himself standing beside himself. Jesus, the only begotten. I can't prove this scripturally, but there's a lot of, of scriptures that would support this in, in, in various ways, but it's just a mystery. Where do, you know, Jesus is the only begotten. It's not just a, that he was a physical man born of God. Jesus is the Son of God from eternity, and this is just one mind-blowing possibility, okay? So, don't preach that as gospel, but let your, let your heart engage with it. Let your mind engage with it. I <laughs> my brain just, just goes crazy sometimes. But Jesus is the only begotten Son. In Psalm 2, Psalm 2, Jesus says this, I will surely tell the decree of my Father. He said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. He's in first place over all creation. Now Genesis 1 tells us that there is a plural God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word is Elohim. I'm sure most of you know this. It's plural for God. And we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in creation. The Father had the plan. Jesus, the Word, spoke out the Father's plan. The Spirit, hovering and waiting for that Word, responds to the spoken Word and acts on the plan. And creation happens. John tells us 
that through the word all things were created. He's the creator. Colossians 1, for by him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. John told us, tells us that nothing was created that he did not create. Jesus the word is God, the creator. Now in John 1.18 we, we understand that it's Jesus who reveals the Father. No one has ever seen God. The only God, i.e. the begotten, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So before Jesus was born in the flesh, we see Jesus showing up throughout the Old Testament. And, and we're told here that nobody has ever seen God the Father. So who was showing up throughout the Old Testament? The only begotten, Jesus. When Joshua you know, saw this man coming to him, and he says, who are you? He's got his sword drawn. And the man says, I'm the commander of the armies of God. What does Joshua do? He falls on his face and worships him. If that were an angel, he would have stopped Joshua. But Joshua hasn't seen the father. So who did he see? He saw the son. Abraham. Yahweh appeared to him said, I want you to leave this land, take your family and go where I tell you to go. Abraham actually saw God. So who did he see? And who did he see when... when you know, he was sitting outside his tent and, and these angels and, and God were, were going to go to Sodom. It wasn't the father, it was the son. David saw God, Jesus, in the tabernacle when he set up a tent and brought the Ark of the Covenant there. Isaiah saw Jesus on the heavenly throne. High and lifted up. How do we know it was Jesus? Because in John 12, 41, talking about that very same passage, John says, and Isaiah said this because he beheld his glory. And he's talking about Jesus. Jesus, fully God. Divine. Through and through, 100%. My beloved is dazzling. My beloved is divine and ruddy. He's human. John 1.14 And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word the only begotten became flesh. He took on flesh. John 1 1. First John 1 1. What was from the beginning? What we've heard and what we've seen with our eyes, what we looked at and touched concerning the word of life. And this life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us.
Let's go back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. The creation of Adam. One of my questions has been, because he spoke everything else into being. He spoke light, the stars, the planets, the moon, the waters, the birds, the fish, the animals, the trees, with a word they were created. But it says, he formed him out of the dust of the earth. Why didn't he just speak Adam into existence? There you are, Adam. He took time to create Adam. He formed him from the clay. And I just, I see Jesus kneeling down on the ground and scooping up this clay and beginning to form Adam's body. And as he's forming him, you know, he's, he's forming all the, the blood vessels and the muscles and the, the nerves and the organs and all this, you know, his eyes and, and he's forming it around. He says, yes, this is, this is going to be really good. You know that Jesus, when he healed the blind man, what did he do? He scooped up mud from the, the earth and wiped it on his eyes. He wasn't just healing him. He was showing himself as creator. See, see, he finished the creation of his eyes so they could see. And the, the deaf man who couldn't speak, he stuck his, his fingers in his ears. Psalms, the, the psalm tells us, you dug my ears. When he was forming Adam, he stuck his fingers in his ears to form the, the, the channels. And so he did the same thing to this deaf man. And he finished the creation of his, of his ears to hear. Why, did he, why, why would this be so important to him? Because Adam's body was designed to be eternal. You know, if they had eaten of the tree of life, that body would have, would have lived forever. And Jesus knew that one day he would have one of these same bodies. And his, he was very intimately involved. And I just, I, I love to think about when, when Adam, he, when he breathes life into Adam, he's like this. And what happens when Adam opens his eyes? What's he see? He sees Jesus beaming at him. Welcome to life, Adam. We're going to have a long history together. Luke 1, 30, the angel's talking to Mary about her having a son. And uh, what time do I need to finish? We just went at 11. Wow. Okay. All right. He... And he says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. Who's the Most High? In the Old Testament, the Most High God is El Elyon, one of the first names that we know of for God. Think about it. Jesus is going to be called the literal Son of God. Yeah. Right? Now, the Infinite One, who upholds the world with his with the word of his power, okay? He stepped out of heaven and became a little tiny zygote in Mary. 
Okay? The very first beginnings of, the, of a baby. And he had to wait there for nine months as his body was developed. That's God we're talking about. He who existed as God found himself in the form of a man. He emptied himself. He humbled himself to become obedient even to death on the cross. He called himself, I am meek and humble. It's one of the few descriptions he gave to himself. And Jesus as God, and meekness is one of his attributes, is really an amazing thing to, to look at. But in his meekness, he restrained his divine power and became a man. All, he had to go through all the natural processes of growth. He had to be born like every other man. You know, he, he messed his diapers. Okay? Um, he cried. He was totally dependent upon Mary and Joseph for a number of years. He was perfectly God. But he was fully man. We don't know much about his childhood. You know, God gave angelic direction to Joseph. Um, but you know, as a child... He was growing. Eventually, he started getting B.O. You know? What's this hairy stuff here, you know? Yeah, he was a man. Everything about him, fully man. He was tempted in every way. Now think about, oh, I wish I had more time. Think about his brothers, Jude and, 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 uh, and James, okay? Think about growing up with Jesus. Uh, you can, I, can just, I just have a picture of, Jude and James and Jesus are outside, okay? And James wallops Jude, and, and Jude starts crying. Mom, he hit me! Mary comes outside, looks around, you know, Jude is just waller, waller, wailing so much he can't even talk. She looks at James, what happened? Uh, Jesus hit him. <laughs> Mary looks at Jesus. She looks at James and she says, really? <laughs> you know, can you imagine growing up with a brother who's absolutely perfect? <laughs> you know, later, James and Jude did not believe Jesus to be who he said he was. It wasn't until after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to them, after the resurrection, <laughs> that, that they, they said, yeah, you are who you say you are. At 12, he knew who he was. You know, he was in the temple, confounding the, the teachers there. He grew in f wisdom with favor and man. And, and the Father's good pleasure was on him. Um, he just, he, he knew the Father's pleasure. Now, as, he, as Jesus went to the cross, think about his humanity. He's in the garden, and three times he asked the Father, there's got to be another way. Jesus knew what was coming. Remember, he created this body. He knew how it worked. He knew the suffering he was going to go through more than most people would know because he understood how the nerves work and he understood how the crucifixion was going to affect his body and all these different things. And he, so he has, he's had to ask three times, Father, is there any other way? Because 
what he was going to experience was going to be horrendous. But he went through with it. He died. He was resurrected. He got a new body. But it was still the same body. It still had the scars. Still had the holes in his hands. You know, the disciples didn't quite recognize him at first, but when he showed him the scars, they, they understood who he was. And he still has the same body today. Jesus is forever a man. He didn't come to be just a man for 33 years. He's in heaven today with his human body. Resurrected body, one that we'll get someday. You know, he could walk through walls and, you know, he ate food. And then when he walked through the walls, the food didn't just drop behind him. It, it went with him, okay? Um, oh, there's so much more I can talk about on this, but... Um, all right. Stephen saw Jesus in heaven as a man standing next to the Father's throne. John experienced Jesus as the God-man. He walked with him for three years, three and a half years as his disciple. He leaned on his chest at the Last Supper. He, you know, when he says, I felt him, I touched him, um, he saw him in his few, full humanity. And then decades later, when, Jesus, when John is on Patmos, Jesus shows up to him. John doesn't quite recognize him at first. And he just blows him away as he sees him in his divinity. Divinity and his humanity, because he's got the body. Um, okay. In Revelation 4 and 5, we, John sees this vision of the throne room. And as John is looking at it, he sees this throne, and on the throne is the Father. And all around the Father is a storm of glory. And you have the, you know, the seraphim flying, and the 24 elders, and, and all these myriads of angels singing and glorifying God. And then the Father stretches out his hand. He's got a form of some kind. It's, that's a mystery yet. Yeah? And in the hand is a scroll. And the call goes out, who's worthy to open this scroll? And nobody's found. But then the angel tells John, wait, look, there's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb. He's worthy. And Jesus walks up to the Father through the storm of glory, which none of us could actually manage to do, and takes the, throne, the, the scroll out of the Father's hand. And then all of heaven erupts. He's worthy. And we read this in, oh, this is what, you know, this is a fulfillment of Daniel in chapter 7. It says, he sees the Father on his fiery throne and the Son of Man comes to receive the kingdoms of the world. And then what happens? In Revelation 5, 11 through 14, the worship team can come up as we finish this. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them as thousands upon thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they all said to him who sits on the throne, the Father, and to the Lamb, the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. They were giving the Father the exact same worship they were giving the Son. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To learn more about us, please visit livingwatersmn.org.